That's working nice. Thanks for doing that for everybody. Isn't that nice? He's doing that. That is good. That's because it, and it's and he doesn't need me to say this, but it's taking him time, and he has to do the master, and I think he's got about an hour in every master, because there's a way you have to do it. So it is. It's very nice that you're doing that. Thank you. Okay, uh, I was laying on my bed this morning just thinking about you guys, and uh, uh, I felt like up till the break we're going to teach a little. I'm going to just give some more examples about where we ended yesterday, and then after the break. We're going to go down the sanctuary and just spread way out and get away from each other. And we're just going to just take some time to just enter in, play a little soft piano thing, you know. And we're just going to just personally take a section of Scripture. Uh, just to kick you off, I'm going to assign you one today. <laughs> okay? But, but, but a section of Scripture where you, you'll all be on the same page. We're all, we're all going to start in Ephesians 1. And I'll just let you take time from right after break the whole way till the end. And if you end up there and don't leave till middle afternoon, that's up to you now. What I'm saying is I just want to give you some time to enter in and act on this thing that we're going to talk about, okay? Uh, so was that beneficial meditating on the word? I know I got a, a response this morning how paramount it was to one individual. He said, man, if I don't have a way to, 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 to respond in the word to where it becomes mine and real, what do I have? I just have knowledge. And I, and, I, and I feel like this is a very important thing. There was a season in my life where I received communion every day for a pretty long period of time. And it wasn't just to receive communion to remember him. My heart intent was that Holy Spirit would build in me and teach in me the accomplishment of both the body and the blood. And it got to the point where it was probably about 45 minutes. Now, I had the time. You have to have the time, obviously, to be able to do this. So there was a, there was a time frame where I was able to do this in my life. And uh, I, I, actually would, I actually just got up early and before office hours. I was pastoring. And, uh, but my office hours weren't till 8.30, I think I had to be at the office. So I would just go into church where I was all alone and undistracted. I'd go in real early. I did that a lot. I didn't there. It wasn't even daylight yet. I had a lot of encounters before it was daylight with the Lord in the sanctuary. It was cool. But, but here's the stuff I would do. Like, <laughs> I know He's with me. I know He's always in me theologically. But like I would walk in the sanctuary early in the morning and wouldn't turn on the light. It was dark. And I'd walk in and say, good morning. Here I am. Man, I'm so glad to be here with you. I would just say it out loud. And the presence of God would just meet me there. Poof. I had a lady come. She knew I was there, which freaked me out. It was kind of dark. And this lady came in the sanctuary. It was just me and her car. And I, I had to walk her out the church. I'm running, hitting all the lights as I'm going. And she's like, what? What kind of woman do you think I am? I said, it's not that. I said, your car and my car, neighbors, somebody sees me in here early, you slip in, dressed pretty to go to work with your little dress and smelling all good like you do. And you come walking in the church and a half hour, 40 minutes later, go walking out and leave. I, I like when I, I smelled her, I'm standing there worshiping. I'm thinking the fragrance of Christ. <laughs> And I'm like, no, it's a woman. What are you doing? I grabbed her. Come on. Flick. Flick. You're serious. She's running. Her heels were going click, 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 click. She says, what are you doing? I need to talk to you. I said, we can talk. Come on. And I ran her out into the parking lot. She's pretty upset with me for a moment. <laughs> but I explained it to her. She took it personal. Like, what do you think? Who do you think I am? But uh, <laughs> I don't know why I even told you that. But... <laughs> but uh, 
This uh, woman came in and she told me when she came in, she said when she walked through the door, she walked into the tangible presence for her. It was tangible, tangible presence of God. And she went, oh, my God, because it was a secret place thing. And she walked in on our secret. So she walked into our secret. My wife's done that many times in the bedroom. She'd slip in the bedroom when I'm just on the bed praying or something. And she'd feel the presence of God like that. I guess he'll meet you there because you're meeting him in secret. But I did that in my own bedroom for a long, long time because it built a reality in me. Like there's things like that you don't do after a while because they become your reality. You're doing them by faith. And you can talk yourself out of it and you can believe the way that God made foolish. We talked yesterday. That's your privilege if you want to believe that lower level of, it's not even wisdom, it's just, bleh. <laughs> you know, well, this isn't real, and I feel like I'm just talking to the wall, etc. Because then you're just cycling and leaving yourself with uh, your communion as a method. It's a relationship you're building. It's a relationship you're growing. Well, I don't hear God. I'm not, I don't bother because He never talks to me anyway. Well, He's talking to you through His Word all the time. He's speaking through His Son. See, anything that's discouraging you is total deception. It's a mindset that is totally a loser and is trying to make you one. And the longer you live in that realm, then you'll say, yeah, I am a loser. And then you'll disagree with it. So don't do that. If it's negative, if it's not producing life, that mindset is not from the Lord. Okay? So... Jesus is always with us like that. We just don't perceive it. Always, right. Well, that's, this is why I'm talking like this, Sharon, because here's what happens. If we'll, like the things I used to do, some of these things I'm telling you, have become so real to me that what, what she just said is absolutely real to me. I perceive that all the time. That's what actually keeps you in a real straight and narrow because he's, he, I, it's, not a, it's not a condemnation or fear thing. He's, I'm never alone. He's with me. I'm aware of him. I'm conscious of him. So the flesh is crushed in that place. It's living by the Spirit. It's, so I'm not like, okay, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that. Or, okay, I shouldn't do that. I, that stuff's not even in my life because he's with me. Like, we're together. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? But in the beginning, I had to establish that by faith. Now my faith has become a reality where I do perceive that. But in, in the process, so what do we do? It's an excellent thing that she brought out. What do we do if you don't perceive it? You have to settle what you know is true and know is available in your heart and pursue that truth till it becomes yours. And don't grow weary in doing well and doing good because you will reap if you don't lose heart. Did you hear what the scriptures say? It's, that's Galatians chapter 6. It says... Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. This is Galatians 6. If he sows into the flesh, that means if you just feed flesh mentality. It's not just talk about sinning, guys. If you just feed a flesh mentality, feed flesh wisdom, just say, oh, well, yeah, but, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, right? Of the flesh, it says, if you feed the flesh, if you sow into the flesh, it says, of the flesh, you'll reap destruction. So it's not, a, it's not the place to be. And then here's what it says. It says, if you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap life. And it says, therefore, let us not grow weary while well-doing. What is actually well-doing? Is he talking about making apple pies for your neighbors or sowing into the Spirit? Wow. 
You get it? Oh, apple pies for your neighbor. It is a good thing, though. It's a real good thing. Come on, neighbor. Touch my neighbor's God. No. (laughs) I have my wife for that. She's too amazing cooking. I'm like, honey, I love you. Stop. (laughs) She's No, she's she's, she's amazing. My wife is like the best cook on the planet. Of course, I'd say that because she's my wife. But she if she wasn't my wife, I'd say that. But uh, we sow into the spirit. We reap life. Therefore, let us. Not grow weary while well-doing. What's well-doing? Well-doing is the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith isn't fighting the devil. It's maintaining your identity. The faith is walking in the finished work of Christ. When Paul makes comments about we're in the faith, the faith, I mean, what's that mean? What we've become through what he's done. It takes faith to walk that out, right? Right? You have to believe he came by faith, right? You have to believe he was the son of God by faith, right? Well, how does that ever become your reality? By continuing there and growing to know him to where he bears witness with your heart. Like it says that uh, his heart bears witness with your heart that you're sons of God. So the more you continue in him, the more you know what you say you believe. Do you get it? But you can't grow weary in well-doing and talk yourself out of that. That's why I keep pounding. Did you notice almost every day that I've been in this school with you guys, I've been making the comment about if something's not edifying you, if it's derogatory, if it's condemning, if it's not life-giving, if it's negative, it's never God. It's the biggest stumbling block, your soul getting in the way. Your heart's pure, you want to know God, you're pursuing Him, and then this little yell-butt thing rises up, and it has a form of wisdom to it. And you embrace it as truth. For yourself, but it sells you short. Happens all the time. We can't grow weary in well-doing. What's well-doing? Sowing into my spirit, sowing into spiritual things. Colossians 3 says, if I'm in Christ, then get my mind off the earth and keep my mind here where Christ is sitting. Why? Because I died. Remember, it's not about me anymore. I died. My life is hidden in Christ. It is about me in the sense of Christ in me. What I mean is it's not me about uh, concerning the flesh, my own ideas, my own opinions. Remember, we surrendered that when we got saved. We died to ourselves, so he could come and live in us so that all that he is could be in me so that all of me is consumed with all of him. Right? So let's not grow weary in well-doing. Why? We will reap if we don't lose heart. Now, if I'd take a show of hands around this room and you'd be honest, there's people who've gone through seasons of losing heart in their pursuing of knowing Him. Right? (laughs) I didn't even ask a show of hands, but I have one. Thanks for being humble. But they're... About five years, there you go. Just losing heart, and then this this mindset works, and it almost becomes real to you, where it's valid enough to cause a five-year delay in pursuing Him, because, oh well, somewhere you've unhooked, believing something that can't possibly be true. Because He's available. So, He's here all the time. Agreed? Who agrees? Who agrees that theologically He's in me all the time? Who, that, but watch what I did. I separated that reality from the reality of meeting him to make it an intimate thing. I did that for me. I just So when I opened the sanctuary door, I would say, good morning. Oh, it's so good to be here again. Well, it wasn't like he was there all night waiting for me. But he's there to meet with me. 
And what I was doing was, I was, I was, that became tangible. That, but I did this at home in my bedroom all the time. Some of you have heard the testimony. I would close my door when I first got saved on the way out. I never close my bedroom door. It's open right now. I don't close my bedroom door. But back then I did on purpose. One simple reason. I knew I'd have to open it back up to go in. You say, what's that mean? Because I was picturing that as my meeting place, the entering into the throne room of grace. The throne room to receive mercy. It was my secret meeting place. I just camped out in my bedroom with God when I first got saved. That was where I met with him. Was he always with me? Absolutely. Was he riding with me in my truck? Would he feel like he was in me and sometimes sitting beside me all the time? It's like those experiences were getting real to me, right? But it was because of little things like this. Acts of faith. It was, you know how God gives us the cup and the bread, the anointing of oil, contact points of faith, Water to baptize and come up, sign of dying, living, rebirth. They're contact points of faith. We can relate to those things. So I was relating to this. So I would go, and every time I had to go into my bedroom, I would, it was, it was the throne room of God. It was the meeting place. And the funnest part for me, and, and I know this sounds flaky to some of you, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, I hope it sounds as rich as it was to me. The funnest place was opening the door. It got that cool to me. It was like I would open the door and I would just slide in. And I'd say, I would just write out of my heart like a child because I believed he was wanted to meet with me. See, I believed he was my father. I believed he took pleasure in me, guys. You have to believe he takes pleasure in you. It's his good pleasure. It was according to the good pleasure of his will that he predestined you. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He takes pleasure in you. You've got to believe that or you won't give yourself to these kind of things of faith. You're still trying to find a way to be pleasurable to him and he already loves you. Right? So I would, the funnest part, it got so fun. I would like, I would sneak and slip in the door and I would close it behind me. I would face the door. I would slip in like this with my back turned. I'd close the door and I'd turn around and say, Here I am. It got that intimate. I see, like right now, I can feel just that intimacy in my life. It's real. Like that grew me to a place where if I would just be alone and say, Jesus out of my heart, his presence would hold me. Now, see, I experienced that all the time only because I believe first. Do you understand? A lot of people say, pray for me. I want to feel God's love. Pray for me. I want God to hold me like that. Pray for me and impart that to me. The most powerful thing you can do is believe first. Because if not, you're going to live sensual and you're going to live from experience to experience. And in the middle, you're going to feel like it's a dry spell and wait for the next time God touches you. You live by faith. You live by faith. That's why you don't hear me talk about manifestations a lot and feelings a lot. Did you have something in your heart? Yeah, if you can share with him, Ben. Do you remember this, the pastor's wife? I want to feel God. And she asked you to pray for her. And you said, absolutely not. Well, yeah, in, in Oklahoma, well, recently. It wasn't too long ago. I was like, yeah, in New York, but okay. <laughs> and it was, well, there was a lady in Oklahoma that come into mind right now. I said, I wouldn't do you that injustice, is what I told her. Yeah, exactly. Because we, we get stuck in that bed. And, and constantly, where we're, we're, we're people are coming, they're placing a draw on, I want to feel what you feel. I want to experience what you feel. Pray for me. And then it becomes, we become very experienced. A lady just came to me 
in Warren, PA this weekend and came up to me and said, if I pray for me, if I could. And it sounds so right to us. And we so think that it's and there's so many services going on right now. And people there's people I've run with uh, and I've talked to them about it, uh, not in a not in a debateful way, just just in a cautioning way. Like, what are we really doing? Because there's so much you can play. You can play on the need of humanity and people. I could go. I could have a service. I could come the next Saturday at Harvest Chapel and I could minister a certain way and you'd be amazed how we'd have an order call. People be bawling, crying, could touch people and it would seem like a powerful move of God and at the end we've really accomplished very little because a lot of the tears are people wanting to believe, etc. You can, you can make a draw on need and it looks like a move of God. You can have order calls constantly. Your greatest blessing and privilege is truth. There's all the calls that people are having in the church right now all the time, receiving God's love, to feel His love, to feel His love. You have to believe His love. You get in an altar call service and you're feeling His love and you go, oh, if it's an impact, if you're in faith and it's an impact and God tells me in the service, I'm going to impact them with my love, they're never looking back, I would have that altar call. But if I'm just doing it just for you to go, oh my God, He does love me. And, and, and not in a place where I'm seeing that it's something that's just going to transform you. Because you say, well, one touch, just one touch. Here's what I've watched. Countless people go to those altar calls. There's probably people in these rooms, in this room right now. Go to those altar calls. And what starts motivating them is it's a reassurance. It's a reaffirmation. It's a reassurance. And sometimes the minister calls it that. That's very dangerous. Because you're not called to continually need reassurance. When are you ever assured if you're in the cycle of reassurance? When do you just believe He loves you through the fact that He gave His Son? When do you just believe that? In, the, in, 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 in your life, there might be a time you need a reassurance, but that's personal. That needs discernment. If I'm ministering to you personally, I would decide that. This lady in Warren P.A. said, I just need to feel his love. I know if I could just feel his love because I never feel his love. I've never felt his love. I just need to feel his love and I would be healed. And I said, honey, she said, because this and this. And when she was talking, I could hear out of her heart that she was saying she knows he loves her. But at the same time, she was revealing that she didn't know. And I said, how do you really know he loves you? Because you feel his love or because Christ came? She said, because Christ came. And I saw her go. Because she knew I wasn't going to pray for her. And she wanted me to pray for her. She wanted a manifestation. She wanted a... And I said, honey, you don't understand the friend I'm trying to be to you right now. I said, the only thing you're seeing in my life that you're crying for, that consistency, the, the time I was here before and you saw... I said, it's, I believe it. Period. And then God can give me a stewardship of the relationship of that love in a very tangible way. Because if I'm not feeling it, there's no questions. It's not like, where are you? This is what happens to people when they live sensual through manifestations. I don't feel God as strong as I felt Him all last week. I don't know if He's. I don't know if I have the same favor. I don't know if He's quite here. You go to pray, you don't feel the same tangibility, and all of a sudden you don't have the same faith that He's hearing you and going to answer and respond. And He does because of His Word, because of His faithfulness, because He is who He is. Faith is the greatest thing you can be established. In. I'm a faith guy. I and I, I almost boast in it, not in a bad way. In other words. I'm, I'm not a manifestation guy. I'm a faith guy. But I feel God all the time. Now, are you following me? I don't talk about the manifestation. I don't live from manifestation to manifestation. You'd be amazed what I experience in my flesh when I'm talking and teaching just like I do here in the school. 
I feel Holy Spirit hug me all the time. But I've believed He wants to for years. <laughs> I believe I'm like really huggable <laughs> to God. I believe He's been wanting to get His hands on me for a long time. <laughs> I believe that. And He does that. I don't believe that because He does that. I believe that because Christ came. I had a couple hands raised. You had yours up. Would uh, people seeking joy fall in the same category when in fact it comes as a result of... Joy? Joy is the result of your salvation. The clearer you see the good tidings, the more joy you'll have. Joy isn't something you get an impartation of like we're talking about joy. I know people that have had what we call holy laughter. And I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm not saying God hasn't even allowed somebody to just laugh because they need a good laugh. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can't ride that. that, can't, that that's not going to be your revelation. The revelation of joy comes through the good tidings and keeping your eyes fixed on it and not growing weary and well-doing. Or you're just gonna you're gonna be in another service a year later and say, Boy, I remember last year God touched me with that holy laughter. It seems like for about three months I've been a pretty dry tank. I need my tank filled. I'm going up for some more impartation of joy. I've never, since I've been saved, had anybody pray for me for any of that stuff that I watch people go to the altar for all the time. And sometimes I think we're teaching ourselves to live sensual and live by our feelings instead of what we really believe. I'm not against God touching people. I've seen God minister to people, touch people, and, 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 and His love just come upon them. And they, oh my God. I've seen it countless times. But my motive is never just, we all need to feel God's love. Come up to the altar right now. Well, the whole church likes his cattle would stampede. They would. And people would be crying and all this stuff would be going on. But, but if you would have that same altar call in two weeks, those same people would stampede. I've, I've watched that. I've watched, I, was in a, I was in a weekend of conferences in Virginia and, and I watched God, through the truth, pierce everybody. And then I had 12 people come up to me that night. I wasn't preaching that night. They had another minister there. And, and, and 12 people walked over. It was no less than 12. Came up and said, Brother... My life's transformed. Oh my gosh. My identity is so, wow, I'm free. Oh my goodness, I've never felt so free. And they're telling me this before the service. And I'm like, thank you. Praise God. That's awesome. Well, good. I'm not being negative when I say this, but we're so emotional. We live from moment to moment. We're so sensual. I've had tons of people tell me how their life's changed and how free they are. And, and, and in a week, they're cycling and stuff. It's, sometimes we just ride the, the wave of emotion. And fail to get alone with him and let him continue to build on that deposit. Sometimes we think just the, oh, is enough. No, the, oh, takes you more to him. So that that revelation can be established. So we perceive him in an everyday way. See, a lot of people get talked out of it through circumstances, feelings, life, same old emotions. So these 12 people or, or so were talking to me and, and this and the service started. And, and the message when I was sitting there, I heard the message. It sounded like a basic Christian message. And I thought, oh my goodness. This is like stereotyping us as if we're all got to be a certain way. And there's going to be an altar call to pray for everybody because we're all the way we are. And I'm thinking, well, at least for two nights we pounded truth and people feeling free. Well, at the end, he used a phrase in how the world has encased us and enveloped us and formed us. And some of you are in this room under that yoke. And 
I need to break that off of you. You need to come up here. I need to break that off you. 95% of the congregation ran up like cattle and everybody that told me they were free were in the line because they wanted prayer. You say, well, maybe they just wanted what was in his life, just wanted impartation, just wanted... No, what they're actually saying is, I'm giving up my identity and what God's establishing in me for another touch. I'm saying I've been formed, I've been molded. The altar call is you've been formed, you've been molded. And I understand Bill Johnson says if a man comes up and uh, there's going to be an impartation for African-American pregnant women, he's the first in line. So sometimes we hear that. But no, when you have an altar call and you're saying you're encased, life's born, and you and you need another touch... I don't care what I'm going through. You can't get me to that altar. I don't need another touch. I need revelation through His love. I need Him to become real in my life. I don't need you to lay hands on me. It is so overplayed in the church right now. And I can't explain to you how concerned I am about it. We've laid hands on so many people for the last decade. If it was so powerful, we'd have a lot more consistency and fruit in our lives. We're living from moment to moment and we're afraid to talk about it and admit it because we think we're saying something negative. (laughs) Oh, well, I said it. Getting alone with him. Is there places for impartation? Absolutely. Come on, Randy lets me preach at Global. They call me to Global and come up to Global, but they know I don't agree with a lot of things at Global and they let me come there. (laughs) Max sits down at lunch and says, we so highly respect you because we see solid in your life, consistency in your life. We see Christ in your life and we see you're a man that knows God and wisdom. And and I laughed at lunch. I say, well, you realize you let me come up here and I feel counterproductive sometimes because I preach and the students are like, oh no, now what? Because we've just been taught this, 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 and this and you just uprooted all that. (laughs) One guy raised his hand after I taught the one day and he said, dude, you just wrecked my whole Theo. Where do I go from here? I said, in Christ, in Jesus, keep it simple. You're born again. You're dead. He was just, oh. One kid was crying and said, I don't even know if I was saved. I grew up in church. But he just, he was just in a lot of other arenas and topics and topical and trying to be a, a, a Christian minister. And when he heard the truth of the word, he's like, oh. but what's lacking in our lives is truth. Truth. The only reason you see me like this right now, I can't even talk without being passionate. Did you ever notice that? That I can't even talk without... Why? It's truth. It's made me free. It's my best friend. I've never had anybody pray for me for impartations. I've had some people bless me and touch me in altar calls at times. I count on one hand. I've never gone to the altar for something from God. I get it in the bedroom all the time. I get it in my truck. I get it. I'm not saying it's wrong. But if you put your dependency on that. Now, I understand seeing a gift in somebody's life and saying, would you bless me that that just unlocks in my life uh, like a Bob Hazlett. Or say if I'd meet with Bill Johnson and I'm having lunch with him. You better believe I'd say, would you just lay your hand on my head and just bless me and just impart whatever. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm talking about identity stuff. I'm not talking about gifting. I'm talking identity. I can't give you. I can't. Her hair's so pretty. I can't use her. Here, I'll, his 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 hair's a little messed up. His hair's a little messed up. I'll use his hair. I I can't do this long enough and shaba long enough to put identity in him. 
I can pray for him to where his heart can get released to have a doorway better into seeking God for identity. Get maybe a yoke off of him that's keeping him from getting face to face with God. There's a whole lot of things we could pray for and maybe do in this arena. But I cannot impart the identity I'm walking in into him through prayer. And I honestly, personally have no desire, no conviction. That's a good word. Thank you. No conviction. To lay hands on him for an experience of the things I experience. Without the foundation of truth. I want the foundation of truth in him. Do you see what I mean? Okay. Because we're putting our faith in things apart from knowing him and being with him. We're putting our faith in one another. We're, we're, we, he loves us. And I'm telling you, you'll never look back if this thing just hits your heart by you stepping out in faith. When we believe in Jesus... He, he imparts all these gifts in us. We just got to realize. That's it. It's all about... And that's why we're doing this school. So we, and, and I think we all understand that that's why we're in this school. So we just need to realize it. That's why I talk so simple and plain. I'm on your page. It, it's, it's all here. So what am I doing? Oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't have to be imparted. It's all right. Everybody it's here. That's why I'm saying it's not important. Giftings and things like that can be triggered and released through an impartation. So I, that's the only part I'm saying. Like when I see Bob Hazlett walking in something real clear, and I haven't walked in that level yet, and I'm humble, and I honor a prophet in the name of the prophet, and honor the gift in his life, and in humility say, man, that's awesome to see how God's groomed you and walked in you. Would you just pray over me that I would realize that grace even more and begin to hear clearer and see clearer because I so want to manifest his heart to the world. There's, there's a pure place there. So then Bob says, man, absolutely, I see your hunger and he prayed for me. Father, I just thank you for Dan, blah, blah, blah. There's something beautiful about that. There's something very real about that. And that's, there's this humility thing there, but certainly not an identity. You know, the gifts are there. Paul still also said to Timothy, there's gifts in you that need stirred up. They're in you through the laying on of my hands. So there are things. The impartation's real. My concern is it's way overemphasized. It's way overplayed. People run up to me everywhere I travel because of that teachings that's out there. And people so respect Bill and Randy and some of these circles and people that they run to you everywhere you go and they say, oh my God, lay your hands on me. I want what you got. Oh my God, lay your hands right on me. You got to... You, you go to Global, or if you'd go to Bethel, when Todd said he went to Bethel, the students were going, impartation, dude, impartation. Come on, man. They're, Jesus is just surrounding him constantly. Just lay it on me. He touched, whoa, they're rolling all over the chairs, and he's like, okay. <laughs> and he said he wasn't even hooking up. He was just passing through. He said he couldn't have got to through if he didn't just touch them. So they just kind of, whoa, this is just, it can get weird. That part can get weird. Be careful. Be careful. The first time I met Randy ever, he walked me into his office and said, this is Dan Moeller. I just sat with him. Randy started crying. Said, I asked him where he's been for 11 years because of his heart. Da, da, da. I just missed it. And he said something that I won't repeat, but it was very humbling. And I'm like, I was like, you know, I didn't understand why I said it really, but he compared me in a sense. And, and when he said it, the students, it was so funny. They charged me. And they were all around me going, oh, oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. And they were expecting me to, because they're taught that. And I was like, hey, guys, good to meet y'all. Bless you. And I didn't pray for nobody. <laughs> because all he's seeing in me is identity. Identity. Do you get it? 
its identity. So isn't it cool that we can all see a little different, but still get along like global? I have a relationship with them up there. I have I have a message. They've been trying to get me to go do something there, but my schedule won't allow. So why? Because they're seeing Christ, right? I don't totally agree. Don't have to totally agree. I just don't feed a certain thing in a, in a lot of the manifestation and the, and the impartation stuff. But the foundation where I'm coming from is agreeable. And I don't attack the other stuff. I just preach the gospel. You've been there. I don't attack anything. I just preach Jesus. And as I'm preaching Jesus, it raises a lot of questions. <laughs> People come up and say, man, I hear what you're saying. It's so simple. Well, where's this ha- stand? And when, what about this? And they start, uh, and, I, and I didn't even mention none of those things. It just rose up in my preaching. And all of a sudden people realize, man, I'm putting a lot of attention here. But this sounded life-giving. This sounded refreshing. That's what happened to your heart when I first met you. And that's why she's here. Just pursuing this truth. Amen? But, but here's the point. I know i got a bunch of hands going and I'm going to try to get to you, but I want to finish this point. When you're taking something that needs to be more perceived as sharing, said we, our only thing is, we're growing to realize what's already here. Like it's the same with healing; it's already finished. It's finished, but we don't always see that. Sometimes we see their body failing. Sometimes we see the limb that's twisted, and the limb that's twisted in our natural view is is higher and more real than our knowledge in His finished work. So we're moved by what we see instead of what we see. Jesus happened to be Lord in the revelation of truth. He, he was the word revealed. So he didn't just know the truth. He was the truth. And, and he would look at a paralyzed limb and there wasn't even one thought like we get tried with. He, he wasn't thinking, I hope this works or, or oh, wow, yay, it's moving. <laughs> That's what we do. And when we do that, we, we reveal that there's just places we're growing. We're all growing. Don't get frustrated with that. We're through this school. We're obviously going to talk about some of that stuff with the release of healing and the power of God. But, but, but when Jesus sees that, he sees it for what it really is in light of who he is. And there's an authority over it every time. Do you see what I'm saying? So when he says, take your bed and walk, and the guy starts moving and getting up, he's not in his heart going, oh, thank you, Father. God, this is awesome. Yay. He knows he's getting up. Now, you and I haven't walked that way at large. I've walked in that. I've got glimpses of that. And I've seen a lot of people healed just in the level of what I see. But I can honestly tell you, there's a war going on in my head in a lot of visual stuff sometimes. When I see a child with cancer and they're down to skin and bones, and I prayed, and the next time I see them, they look a little thinner, that tries to speak and get in your head. And the key of this identity and growing in this healing thing is to where that revelation gets way bigger than what your eyes are seeing here. To where no matter what you're seeing, that is not your motivation. Here's what happens to us. That becomes our motivation. And then we go, oh my God. And we dig deeper and pray harder. Why? Because we're motivated by that. Not that. You get what I'm saying? It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you if you spend any time praying for the sick, especially where there's visuals. So, And that's a whole other topic. But that's the importance... Okay, so I go into my bedroom, and, and in the beginning, it just felt like a thing I was doing. 
Even though my heart was alive, I was born again, but when I went into the bedroom, and it didn't, it did not for a long time, it actually, because my heart, it was a faith thing. I was childlike. I believed I was meeting with God. Was He in me when I was walking up the steps? Absolutely. But I was believing He was there in a specific way to meet with me in secret, face to face. So I would walk in the bedroom, I'd slide in the door, I'd, I'd go, I'd shut the door and say, I'm here, and I wouldn't even turn on the light. I'm just here. And I would stand there, and most of the time, I wouldn't even make it to the bed. My, my bed from the door, the corner of my bed is about from here to the table. I wouldn't, the way it's in the room, I wouldn't even make it to there. I would end up about here. And I would just stand there. Sometimes I'd be there the whole time. Sometimes I'd be there a half hour and just communing and, and things would come alive in my heart. His presence. And then I'd end up wherever I'd end up. It, it didn't have a plan. But what did I do? I went into the bedroom by faith believing he'd meet me there. I wasn't even necessarily expecting him to say anything specific. I wasn't expecting him to sit on the bed and manifest visually. I wasn't expecting necessarily to even feel his presence. I just believed he called me to that place so he would meet me there. Do you get what I'm saying? Everything else just came out of knowing him. So I was, I was only doing that for a couple weeks. I share this Everyone's great. Well, some of you ever hear, hear me share when I went in there and it, my whole bedroom turned into the throne room, turned into like heaven. I rarely share that stuff because people chase that stuff. The only reason I'm sharing it is because that wasn't what I was going in there for. That, that, that was totally unexpected, which made it totally awesome. I wasn't like looking for it. I wasn't like, well, I wish God would show me the throne room. And then every day you go in thinking it's faith. Show me the throne room. Show me. No. Show me. Not. It's not. It's not. That's not about that. You get what I'm saying? It's not wrong to have that desire. But I see people pursue that. And then four other people saying, oh, man, God's been taking me right into the throne room in prayer. I'm sitting at his feet. And then this other person is like, eh. I ain't never even had a dream. I've never had a vision. I ain't never had nothing. I wonder what's wrong with me. And we're talking all about these spiritual manifestations at the cost of one another because it puts people under pressure and they start weighing it. I just had a whole talk on this up in Warren PA with a whole group of people and they're sitting there crying when I exposed it because they were all under those pressures. And they're in meetings where it's important to fall down and shake and be in fire. It's important to go through the fire tunnel and manifest and they just walk through and are being honest and thinking, boy, I'm not experiencing what they are. But then after a while, they looked and realized they were the only one that wasn't Responding this way, so then they were left alone feeling, what's wrong with me? Why am I not having this? <laughs> we're so funny at Global, we go through the fire tunnel thing, they always push us through. <laughs> I just walk through. <laughs> but I do it with my heart before the Lord. If He whacks me and knocks me down, I won't have nothing to do with that, right? If He just whacks me and knocks me down, great. I'm not against that. I've been knocked out a couple times. I, I was one time on the floor. I couldn't even walk. It felt like I didn't even have anything from the waist down. And there was electric flowing through my body. And he spoke to me about some things. But he sure had my attention. But when they were pulling me through that one day, they said, if you don't want to go through, hey, if you have a problem with this. I said, no, I don't have a problem with it. It's just not a party to me. I said, everything I do is with strong purpose. If I go through here, I want to come out with something I didn't have. I want to go out, come out changed. I'm not just going in there for an experience. I'm not going in there to play. 
And that's why I told the kids. They were, try, they were all excited when I walked in. They said, hey, we're just going through. Go first. And they were like, yeah, Dan. And I'm thinking, boy, this might disappoint a few because I'm not going to go, whoa, whoa. I'm just not unless God, unless God wrecks me. God would have to wreck me. And, and I'm not saying he's not wrecking people. What I'm saying is my heart is faith and purpose. And if I'm going through a fire tunnel and all these people sincerely are laying hands on me, fire, God, fire, I want to receive something that changes me because I pass through that. I'm not just going to do it because it's fun. Because it's, it's at the cost of things if you don't teach faith. Then all of a sudden the person is forced to manifest to fit in. And in their heart they know it's not their reality and real experience. That happens all the time. There's students that do that. There's students that have cried and admitted doing that. I've been personally alone with students that have poured out their heart. They don't want to feel left out. Some of those are the most expressive of all because they go to the far end and say, well, then, if this, let me just draw attention through this and it makes me feel like something. It's, man, it's sad if we're creating that. And making it important. Okay? So I don't know how I got on all that. I'm just saying there's a place. If I go through, I'm not, I, I'll walk through a fire tunnel. I won't say no. I'll walk through a fire tunnel in faith. But you, you would laugh at me at Globo and Todd. He's right behind me. You know, when we first started going to Globo, they're all surrounding him, touching him, and whoa. And we were in another setting one time. It, it wasn't Globo. It was somewhere else. And they're all, and it's a circle where they're, you know, we call it, we, 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 we're not mocking. We, we say, now you realize this is a, a hoer atmosphere, man. You're going to have to hoe because they're going to pull you into, you know, they're going to expect you. And he, he laughs. And it's not a demeaning thing. It's not a cynical thing. We just understand it. They came up and they praying for me. They're going, psst, psst, whoa, psst. And he said, sorry guys, don't mean to disappoint you. I'm just not a manifester. Because they're expecting him to go, whoa. And they're, and they're kind of looking at him and he's just, because they I honor him. They, they see him as somebody in Christ. And they're, they're having fun with this. And he's like, sorry guys. Hey, but man, we can preach Jesus. Or hey, whatever. And Todd's just funny. And he, I heard him say it. He said, sorry, don't mean to disappoint you. I'm just not a manifester. Just not going to go with that flow. And they're like, oh. Oh, they put their guns away, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, if your gun's loaded and it knocks me out, hey, praise God. <laughs> I'm not against getting knocked out. I've had more powerful experiences in my bedroom with the tangible anointing of God than I've ever had in a corporate service in a personal, intimate way. I've had the presence of God come on me so, so I've had the Lord like a whirlwind going around my bed and I couldn't even get up and had him out of the whirlwind in majesty speak to me and I think it was audible. Yeah. I've had amazing experiences with God. I just don't talk about wow. And those experiences put such a security in you, you don't have to prove anything. Right. You don't, you're not reaching. You're not, a lot of what we do, we're still reaching for something real. You're not going to find it apart from him and you alone. Him and you alone is where it becomes yours. It's, it's yours already. But as she's saying, you'll realize it in that place. Okay? <laughs> I've laid on my bed and it felt like it was raining, tangibly raining on me. And every drop that hit me, God's profuse, unexplainable unsearchable love would saturate me and I didn't even know what to do. Just froze there. 
I've had a whole bunch of experiences. But it was nobody there but me and him. And I didn't have him to be somebody in front of you. I didn't have him to tell you to provoke you in a wrong. I had him because I was seeking him because I must know him. And it's so healthy and it's so pure. It's super healthy and pure. So am I religious and against manifesting? Do I have a religious spirit because I won't manifest in a fire tunnel? I hear that stuff taught from the pulpit. That people that resist these things are just riddled with religious spirits. Well, Jesus seems to love me when the bedroom door is closed. It's called intimacy. (laughs) I've been pregnant for a long time. I've got a lot of kids to God. (laughs) I've produced some things through that intimacy. We've got a lot of children together. (laughs) Oh, I'm about losing it right now. It's true. That's where you get pregnant. (laughs) Probably more people have gotten pregnant alone with one person intimacy than they've had in groups. (laughs) You can get touched in groups. You get pregnant when you're all alone. <laughs> and then the natural ones, not even cool. <laughs> Man, that's that might be more there to that. I know it's got a few of you uncomfortable. I can feel that, so I'm backing out, I'm pulling away. But there's a truth there. <laughs> yeah. How how do we even recover now? (laughs) Help me, Jesus. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going into the bedroom for a while. And it's really real to me now. It's getting bigger and bigger. And God's meeting me there and touching me there. It's getting to the point that when I mention Jesus' name, when I'm driving and I'll just, or walking or I'm in my car and I just go, Oh, Lord Jesus, his presence would just might not rock me big. It's just an affirmation. It's just a, oh, it's it's always different, actually. But there's a knowing there. Whether there's his presence tangible on my skin, there's a knowing. There's a, a realized perception that he's always with me. Always. You grow into that. The Bible says we're growing up into him in all things. So it's not like you get saved and, oh, whoa, and, and it's just always there. It can be. It was, it, was, it, it was close to that with me from the beginning. I can tell you why. Some people say that it was a sovereign gift. I so saw my life for what it was and my heart that I didn't ever, ever, ever want to live that again. And I surrendered and I know I died that day. I gave myself to the Lord. The night I got saved, I gave myself to the Lord. And in no way do I see that I incorporated Him in. My total motive was to die so I could finally live. That's how I got saved. I didn't ever want to be that man I was seeing ever again. Ever. I, I, I don't, I'm not conscious at this point. I'm not conscious of one thing that I held on to and wrestled with letting go. I'm not conscious of one thing. Fifteen years later, I can look back on it. There's, I'm not conscious of anything that I consciously withheld. I gave him my life that night. That meant a lot. 
because that determined the level of grace that came into me and the level of revelation. Because if old things pass away, then all things are new. But if you give 90% of the old things and there's still 10%, there's still something. There's still something. <laughs> some of us have this, some of us call it a long sanctification process. You know, well, it's a process, brother. You know, it's, what we're saying is I'm holding on pretty tight and it's going to take me a while to let go. <laughs> and we don't realize that's what we're saying. <laughs> We're actually saying, God's doing a work in me, brother. And each one is a year. So to get that one thing is like five years. I finally laid it down. But you, whoever noticed that when you had a conviction of something and you finally truly laid it down, there was an increased blessing and grace in your life. Who's ever had that experience? Because I hear people talk about it. I, what I've grown into is just... Uh, 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 the Lord showing me mindsets that were unproductive and things like that. But as far as my life, I don't, feel, I don't think I've held anything back when I got saved. I gave Him everything. Now, I had a revelation in my own heart. I got face to face with my own heart and saw it was wretched. It was completely, extremely selfish and it was at your expense. And I didn't even know love. I didn't even know if God was real. And I saw that my heart was solely, completely selfish and I wanted everybody to love what I didn't even like me. And I saw that so clear. Is there grace to allow that? Absolutely. I saw it. But what I did with it was what God intended. I, I died. So that, that was a pretty good springboard right there into knowing Him because the God reality that came into my heart was overwhelming. But from that morning on, it was just, or that next morning on, it was just a joy ride of just knowing Him. Uh, he dealt with the definition of manhood the first morning I got saved. That was the stronghold of my life, just what it meant to be a man, my whole sexual perspective. And I cried and I said out of my mouth, which a lot of men won't say this. I've shared my revelation that God walked me through with three pastors, not that one back there, but I didn't want you thinking, three pastors that said, stop, I don't want to hear anymore. They stopped me, they didn't even want to hear anymore because they were coveting a certain thing called their manhood in the way they liked being a man. And when I, was, when I saw this in my bedroom, here's what I said, you couldn't have made me this way. It's totally self-serving. And self-centered. There's no way you made Adam this way in the garden because you're love and there's not one selfish thing about you. You couldn't have made Eve because Adam was lonely and needed a woman. There's no way. And I was bawling. I said, you have to deliver me. I've received my definition of manhood through the world. You have to deliver me. And I was bawling in the presence of God. I can't even explain the experience. So much, too, that when the woman came into the dark sanctuary, my first thought was grab her hand and run her to the parking lot. <laughs> you follow me? So that's called all things dead and all things new. Perspectives, all new. All new perspectives. How many things are new? So everything I acquired and grew in and thought was wisdom and knowledge before Christ must be 180'd. Whoa. You get it? Why is this so important for your life 
so that your identity is secure in him, so you don't have glitches, weaknesses, vulnerabilities. So that the women aren't feeling, women aren't feeling vulnerable and the men aren't feeling what, what we feel. And it's a paradox right in the church. It's right in the church. I don't know how I got on this. I sure didn't expect it. As a pastor, I've only ever met like two couples that were dating and long-term engaged that were Christians. Two that I'm aware of. Uh, and they, they, I, I know the one was, was very forthright about it that didn't come together sexually. Everybody else was, 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 you know, and I, I, I can't even tell you the countless single Christians that go to dating services and all that stuff and end up sleeping around as a Christian. It's all over the place. Why? Because they're seeking companionship, filling of needs, meeting of needs, desire, loneliness, uh, all that. Stuff. It's because identity is missing. You, 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 that's not even an issue. When Jesus is real. When Jesus is real, it's not an issue. All these things are an evidence of a lack of God reality in our lives. It's just plain. And I don't mind talking at that plain. God reality erases all those things. Because it's knowing Him. It's the fullness of God. Knowing Him and His love is to be filled with all the... So all these things reveal vulnerability. I can't tell you the countless young women as I was pastoring that I would plead with with tears like my own daughter and plead with and they would cry and leave my office crying uh, knowing in their heart that they were going to go the avenue of the natural need instead of growing in spiritual truth and then only to come back in two weeks crying and feeling a lot of bad things. Feeling dirty, dishonored. Why did I do that? And then their identity gets even more crippled if they don't rebound. And then it just happens again and again. And after about three times, they say, oh, whatever. You can't, you can't believe how many people in the church are living that way right now. Christian dating service. I'm on a tangent now. What is that? Get in Christ and seek Christ and let the Spirit of God lead your life. We just do the thing the world's doing and call it Christian. I'm not trying to be crude. I know several Christian, local Christian dating services that were meat markets. And the only reason they went there was to hook up. And I knew countless people that went to those places that were in fornication and worshiping Jesus every Sunday because they were desperate trying to stay connected because their life was violating them. And the only reason they were at church crying so hard and kneeling at the altar and worshiping is because their life was this way. And it looked like they were this way. And the only reason they were this way with so much passion is because they... Look, guys, that'll never go away unless you just start getting alone this way and believe you're valuable and that there's something about knowing Him that can fulfill your life forever. That He is all you really need and from that place you'll live a healthy life. He's above my own spouse. He's above my kids. He's above everything. Unless you love less, He's all I need and from that place life is a blessing. But He's all I need. Now, I have to grow to know that and that to become my reality. Or I'm still driven by a lot of things. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I, I don't know why I got on all that, but the, 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 the cycle reveals a lack of God reality. That's all I'm saying. The cycle in our lives, the ability to do things, to violate our conscience and apart from truth, is nothing more than a lack of realizing who He is in your life. You follow what I'm saying? So if that's in your life, something like that's in your life, don't fall apart and judge yourself like we've been saying and be negative. Just say, wow, let it motivate you to know Him more. Because that's your answer. Because if you know Him more, these things will fade away without you trying to change them. Like my desire life has totally changed just by knowing Him. Do you get what I'm saying? The things that I used to think were so valuable and important or I needed to do has so changed, took a totally different look the more I started knowing Him. My whole life transformed. But here was an intimate experience I had. And then we're going to take a break. And, but I was going into the bedroom and, and I turned, I closed the door. I walked into the bedroom and I went to close the door and I went. And it was the first open vision I had ever had. My, my whole bedroom was like a sky with the throne room. It was like a heavenly picture. And it was just m- m- multitudes. You couldn't see the end of them. Of, of, of heavenly host before the throne or around the throne. It was amazing. And I couldn't see a face, but I could see a figure. It was this glory on this big majestic throne. It was overwhelming. And I, and I remember going, I went, I said, Father, I was doing my here I am thing with my back turned. I said, Father, here I am in your, in your holy presence. Before your throne with all your angels and I was there. And as I was overwhelmed, I could hardly speak. I heard this big, loud hush. And they were all praising and singing and worshiping. And everything got pin drop silent. And I heard the Lord say, my son's come to visit with me or talk with me. And, and who knows that he doesn't make all of heaven quiet. It's, they're still singing holy, holy. But what he was saying is, I'm intimately fixed on you, son. And I love you. And I hear you when you pray. I'm right here. He, he, he literally gave me that experience. And as soon as I heard the hush, my son's here to meet with me. It, it, it all went away. But who knows it didn't go away. Who knows I'm standing there. I just look like I came through a fire tunnel, Alana. I might have even said, oh, I might have. And I'm not making fun of people. People get touched and, and, and have to express it. I, I was touched one night, so touched by God that I screamed. I didn't know what to do. I screamed. So I'm not making fun of people manifesting. Uh, it's real. But make sure your motive's pure in your need for all that. My need is to know Him. My greatest need is to know Him. That's my greatest desire. I want to know Him. I used to sing that song, I want to know Him, know you. And, and it's just a beautiful song. And I sing that in my bedroom all the time. Eternal life is knowing Him. It's Him that our hands have handled, that our eyes have beheld, that we have touched, that we have... It's Him, John says, I bear witness of. It's, it's Him who we've walked with and talked with. And, 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 and He says about sharing Him with us so our joy might be full, right? And, 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 and actually our joys in Him. And then He says that our fellowship is... That we might have fellowship with one another and our joy be full. And He says, and truly, it's John 1, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's talking about intimacy and knowing Him. Okay? This thing we did yesterday with, with the Word and...
uh, you could take like, go to songs with me real quick. Some people, they get, now not everybody has this, but some people, until you build up the knowledge of the Word, whoever got along with God and then felt like, now what? Because you felt like speechless. You felt like you didn't have words to say. You felt like you didn't have things to express. Whoever, who felt that way before? Okay? The more you fill your heart with the Word, the more you grow in that truth and understanding. Like the expression yesterday when I just did that mini little entering in, and righteousness and sanctification, redemption, and just the expression of that one verse got so big because the Word is here, right? So how do you put that in you? How do you build that in you? With the Word. So don't commune with God without the Word. Like some people don't know how to enter into worship or they, they feel like, well, let's just go... There's so many good psalms. Psalms are excellent. Do you jump to uh, 34s on my heart? Let's do 34. 27 is, is, one of, is one of my favorites to just meditate in and stir my heart up. I'll stir my heart up. I'll just open up a psalm and just start reading it. And everything it's saying, I'll respond to it. I'll respond in it. It's like the communion. I would ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me everything through the Word. Bring it to my remembrance that the body accomplished and paid for. Guys, after a season of doing that, after two weeks of doing that every day, I couldn't take the body, I couldn't even put it in my mouth for like 45 minutes. Because I was realizing everything the body accomplished and the, the paid. It's not a s- trivial thing. It's deep. It's powerful. A lot of what I preach comes out of that season in my life. And then I would take the body and I would be like, whoa. And that would become mine. In my reality, I was remembering. I was just looking at the purpose of Him coming in the flesh. I wasn't just looking at Him getting beaten and by His stripes you're healed. I'm looking at Him taking on flesh, coming as a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Being perfected and me being perfected through him and, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and now he's a man, he's in the flesh, he's, he's in the flesh but he's the son of God, he's, but he's a man at the right hand on behalf of men and that would just... You see what I mean? It was so humbling, it was so life giving. Then you take the blood and now you had to look at the blood and the blood covenant can explode in you if you take time there. And you ask Holy Spirit and you're looking at the Word and Scriptures are coming to you and you're holding the blood and, and, and you're exchanging. You're not just doing an ordinance. It's, it's a contact point of faith where you're expressing your heart in the reality of what you're doing. Same way with a psalm. So you get a psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Man, you read something like that. Father, I just thank you right now. I just bless you. You know what? And you could come up, you could even speak out things that are challenging your soul, things that have challenged your life. And in the light of who you are, why would I ever worry? Because you're my Father. The truth is you are the Lord God and worthy of praise. And all of a sudden, you just enter into this place that's real to you. Right now, I'm being careful not to just, I don't want people to try to puppet what other people are doing and saying. It it builds in your own heart. When it builds in your own heart, that's when it's really yours. Or else it's like a liturgy thing. It can be a liturgy. I went to a Catholic Mass and I, I saw Christ there. I saw Holy Spirit work. And I, I went to a Catholic Mass and I was like, wow, this is clear. I actually said amen and praise God about three times and got some looks. Because I was in the liturgy stuff. Because I was like, whoa. But to the people, if they're not careful, 
It becomes such a routine, such a, or just, a, just what we're doing today, it just becomes such a pattern of, okay, he said, now we're going to do the people. Now, the people. And then, we, and, and then it just becomes dry. It can become religious. But the life's still there. The truth's still there. The truth, what you do with it and how you perceive it and how you handle it is important. You can get familiar with things and take them for granted, fail to take earnest heed. And then the Hebrews 2, fail to take earnest heed and then the reality can slip away. Does that make sense? So I went to a Catholic Mass and I was like, whoa. It was actually a funeral Mass. And I, I was, I was, it all made sense to me. I was like, whoa. Lord, I see you in all this. Because before that, I had a mental picture from what everybody says that they weren't even maybe saved and that it was religion and da-da-da. And I got there and I thought, I saw Jesus there. But I looked around and I wasn't sure people saw Jesus there. Because it just was tradition. I actually had the opportunity in that service to speak for he gave me five minutes that was a challenge <laughs> pastor I finished in four I gave him back a minute Ugh. I thought if you're going to honor me to come in this Catholic church and give me five minutes I'll just take four and trust you say what needs said but you know what was funny because I spoke out of my heart now I went in there out of my heart so even though it was their regular mass thing it was life to me because I saw it for what it was yeah. But it can become religious if there's no expression of heart. It can just become form. When I got up and shared for four minutes, when the funeral service was over, I got attacked. I had a sea of people around me saying, what was going on when you were speaking? What is happening? What was, was it? They were amazed. I was at a Catholic wedding and Holy Spirit rippled over the people and settled. And nobody went to receive the bride and groom. They all came to me. Because they're reverent. They're reverent people. They all came to me and said, What's going on? Is this God? What just happened? And they're weeping. And I got to explain to them. Because Holy Spirit came over my shoulders. A tangible wind came over my shoulders. Swirled around the bride and groom like this. I saw it. Swirled around the bride and groom and tied them. And when he tied them, he went out over the people. He came to them, tied them, and just went out over the people and rested on them. And they're standing there undone, crying. All because I told the, the wife-to-be in marriage counseling that he was excited to come to their wedding where faith and love were there, where surrender one to another was there. He was excited to come and meet you in that place. And she cried uncontrollably. And I didn't even know what I said. I thought I said something wrong. After a while, I'm looking at him and he's gone. <laughs> she was so freaked out at the thought that God was excited. Not like RSVP and he's like, well, I guess I'll show up. Or not even RSVP, because I've been terrible at that. I need to spruce up on that. And then just not show. No, he was excited for them to stand there and vow their lives to one another through hard-earnest promises and give themselves to one another to the point where two could become one. And she bawled and took it so to heart. And they wrote their own vows. And I told him, when you get to the vow thing, he is coming. And she was bald and she was expecting like a little child for him to come. And as soon as her sister touched the piano keys, the wind of Holy Spirit, tangible, went whoosh, 
right over my shoulders. It's on video. The best man was backslidden, and the next guy was backslidden. Their brothers, the Holy Spirit knocked them out. When he came over my shoulders, the best man went, and the other guy started, and they fell on each other, and the third guy kind of like just settled them. And they were like, they were shook up. The Holy Spirit just, as he brushed over me, he went, he just elbowed him a little. Just a little loving, gentle, dink. It was all good. It was just like, I'm really real, boys. I love you. I'm real. It was just a spark of God. But he literally wrapped around them. And I didn't make matters any better because they were undone. They were... And he was spinning around them and tying them. And I leaned in and said, I told you he would come. <laughs> they were bawling. And the vows were very powerful. It was very powerful. Because I told them that's when they'll be married, when they give themselves one another. That's where Holy Spirit will make them one. Not when I say I now pronounce you man and wife. That's more or less an ordinance, official, trivial thing at that point. They're already together. And they were like, oh. And then, but Holy Spirit went out. Isn't that amazing how He wants people to know who He is? He wants clearly presented and clearly preached and us to clearly see the beauty of this relationship. And He just came and just... But people are hungry for that. And they came running. Oh, what's going on? Yeah, I felt, I felt a little later for the bride and groom because they were standing back there. <laughs> no, they were actually... Here's the power of that, too. Watch this. It wasn't the traditional wedding. Nine months later, nine months later, they got into a disagreement. Right? Unresolved. No communication. Three days go by. Young marriage, nine months old. Young people. Tension in the home. Not hardly talking. Three days. That gets ugly. You could cut it with a knife, right? It feels horrible. And here they are, newlyweds, nine months, and now they're in this unresolved thing, and neither one's budging, and it's getting more dividing, more thicker, more... uh, And out of her mouth, in frustration and hurt and just desperation, she cried out... Well, we, maybe we just got married too early. We got married too soon. We just shouldn't have even gotten married. And she yelled it out real loud. Because she was just a wreck and he was being cold and not being a man of God. And they were just deceived. And all of a sudden it hit him. And his eyes filled with tears and he turned and he said, no, honey. He said, that can't possibly be true. It's us. He said, if that was true, he'd have never came like he came. It's just us. And she burst in tears and they ran to one another and held one another. Oh my goodness, you feel that? They held one another and just cried and they were instantly restored and in that place where they really were with Him. But they lost sight. They took things personal, failed to love one another. And all of a sudden, what was really real didn't seem real. But it was still there. And it was still real. And as soon as they saw that, they felt that same bond union. They said, they didn't even talk through anything. They just ran and held and it was a done deal. It was resolved. It was done. But they got their eyes back on the truth that he joined them. Isn't that sweet? Today, they are elders in a, in a church. That, at least the last I knew they were elders in a church in, in York. Isn't that sweet? And uh, Oh, what a good testimony. So if, if you get to a place like this, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me 
and let us exalt his name together. When you're reading something like that, you don't have to feel like you don't have enough spiritual vocabulary. Just enter in with what's real in your heart. As you continue to grow in the word and grow in prayer, that vocabulary will grow. Do you understand? So whatever that means to magnify his name, you, you, you can declare he's the Lord. You can declare he's king of kings. But, but just take time. When you read a psalm like that, don't just read it. It's asking you to magnify the Lord. Isn't it? What's this psalm saying? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continuing. And my soul will make boast. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. You see what I mean? So you spend a little time and you're just there. It might be two minutes. It might be five minutes. It might be 15. It might be 30. That's not what's important. What's important is in your heart, you express some level of truth that this is calling you into. This is how you read your Bible and respond where it becomes yours, where it becomes reality. And then you'll turn into verse 4 to be like, I sought the Lord and He heard me, delivered me from all my fears. And then all of a sudden you can reflect back to when you were saved. I could go back to the warehouse in 95 and I'd be a ball and mess. And how you touched my heart with God. Reality, I was so lost. I was so wretched inside. But you saw the best in me. And I wasn't really even seeking you. You called me to the carpet. But when I responded, your faithfulness was right there. And God, you've changed my life forever. See, that that's how I read my Bible when I'm sitting on my bed. I don't always, I do a lot. There's times I'll just read it. I'll feel like I just need to read it and put it in me and I'll read five chapters, ten chapters. There's times I'll just open it and read one psalm and it'll take me into a place of prayer, take me into a place of worship, identity s- s- secured, and even, in, and even spring you into praying for people and things because it just grows. So here's what we tend to do. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continue in my soul. Yeah. Oh, taste and see. He's good. Bless the man who trusts in him. Man, I need to trust God more. I know I need. Well, Father, thank you. You know, thanks for your word, God. And we feel like because we read it, that was like our devotion to God. Because I need to read the word, you know. I'm a Christian. I ought to read my Bible. And we just read for knowledge. And sometimes if you don't have this faith that I'm talking about, you'll just see what you're not. You'll say, oh boy, yeah, many of the afflictions of righteous tell me about it. I can relate to that. <laughs> the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, I'm waiting for that to be the truth in my life. I mean, you know, and the Lord redeems the soul of his servant any day now, God. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Serious. That people, I had a lady tell me she stopped reading her Bible because it kept revealing how unfaithful he's been in her life. That's what she became to believe because she was comparing her life to the scripture, not seeing that the scripture was truth, not her life. And the scripture was calling her life to be transformed. But she was weighing the scripture against her life instead of her life against the scripture. So when she would read her Bible, that's how she would read it. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. Yeah, everybody but me. And they, or I wouldn't feel the way I feel. Well, how's he redeem your soul? By filling it with truth. By showing you the right way, his way. It's not because he goes, oh, it's, that's what we're waiting for. Most of us are waiting for the magic moment where things change. Really? They change in his presence when truth strikes your heart. 
So, so many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, Father, your faithfulness is amazing. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And Father, I thank you in every trial, in every adversity. I am not picking a fight, but I am so not afraid of adversity and afflictions because it just forms me in you because my eyes are fixed on you. You can never fail and you're working yourself in and through me effectually to manifest your great name. In no way am I afraid of my enemies and to them it's a sign of their destruction. And to me, it's proof of my salvation. I am saved. The salvation of the Lord has come to my life. I'll go off like that in my bedroom and go absolutely ballistic. I will preach the whole gospel (laughs) through one scripture like that. It might be the only scripture I read. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord... That might just be what you need to see in your life. You might, that just might have to become your reality because you feel hard pressed. You feel like the trials are overwhelming you. You feel like, and you have to get alone with God and dare believe that this thing is true and begin to release faith and speak truth. He guards all his bones, not one of them broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servant. Father, my eyes are fixed on you. My soul is kept in you. I thank you. Fear and worry are a thing of the past. My heart is content in you. Father, thank you that your eyes are on the righteous and that would be me because you see me as if I've never sinned through the blood of your son and now I'm a son. (sighs) Where does it end? It'll just go and go as your understanding grows. Do you get it? A lot of people pray, but it's only about what's wrong and what they feel needs to change. Rarely are people taught to pray in light of the truth and, and what's been made right. We're praying for God to change us. Start building on the fact that He has through the Son. And He's already put His Spirit in you. He's already put His kingdom in you. He's already made peace with you. That's that altar call thing. Oh, Father, I just need you to touch me with your peace. God, I so need to feel your peace. And then you get up from the altar and you're more conscious that you don't feel peace. So then you tell two friends, pray for me. I just so need peace. And they're so precious. They're so sweet. They're like, God, please touch me with your peace. Touch me. And they're like, okay, well, thank you. We'll bless you. I've seen this cycle. I just need to be. And the more you're asking for prayer, three weeks later, you're going back up to the altar and there she goes again or he goes again. And you just see it on their countenance, on their body posture. You know, they're just waiting for the day. He's already made peace. He's already you. The peace is in your spirit. There's a place for you to say, you've made peace with me. I have peace with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, you know what? You're redeeming my soul. I'm not going to be deceived and live out of my feelings. I'm not going to feel like I don't have peace and then believe I don't have peace when you said there's peace between you and me. It's peace on earth. Goodwill, goodwill. It makes you feel good to give me peace. I'm accepting it today. I'm thanking you. You're aligning things. You're you're even bringing into my emotions into a place of redemption where I realize the peace I actually have with you. But the bottom line is this. There is no war between us. You are in me. You love me. You are absolutely for me. You've got to challenge this stuff. Challenge it or you're going to turn yourself into a sensual living person and you'll be a dime a dozen just experiences things. You'll be just thrown around like this. All that stuff. It's just a dime a dozen manifestations, feelings, emotions. They come and go all the time. But they have to get sanctified or redeemed through truth to where they don't eat your lunch. Do you see what I mean? Where if something comes that's counterproductive into my life, I am so walking in Him, so realizing He's with me. If something comes counterproductive, my immediate response is to flip at 180 and proclaim the truth about that thing. 
because I realize it's counterproductive immediately because I'm in him. I'm walking with him. I'm staying built up in this truth. If you're not doing that, then the counterproductive thing comes and you think it's just the way it is. And you gray out. And until God changes that or breathes on you or touches you, you can't be free. That is deception. Does this make sense? That's what causes people to go like this. Y'all all right? And do you think we're, we're too focused on promise? We should be more focused on the promiser. The receiving the love of God. Absolutely. There is people. That's a beautiful point. There are people, and, and I'm not against a good confession, but there are people that have been taught to just take every promise, slap it all over your fridge, confess, 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 confess. You can confess to your blue in face and never make contact with God and even talk to God intimately. Uh, it's all about knowing Him. It's not about knowing what he said. What he said is important. He said, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have life, but you fail to come to me, who the very scriptures bear witness of. So there's a place, God and his word are one, I understand. And I understand there's a power and an anointing on the word where you can confess the word and actually get a result in your life through confessing the word. But if it doesn't leave you with knowing him more, what are you accomplishing except getting your needs met? Your greatest need is to know him. Because to know Him is to be loved by Him, and to be loved by Him is to be filled with all His fullness. So I I don't ever encourage just confession sheets or just quoting promises over your life. You know, there's books that just have you quoting the Word over your life. I don't speak the Word over my life. Here's what I do. I commune with God based on what that truth says. Like if there's a promise, I'll take a promise, and what God says through that promise to me, uh, like, like... Psalms 91, I will honor you, deliver you, I will show you my salvation, with long life I'll satisfy you. It's in, I don't know if it's, it's not that order. It's, I will show you my salvation, with long life I'll, I, I don't know, it's not in that order. But, but, but what I'll do is I'll read something like that, and I won't quote that over my life in an impersonal way. I'll actually say, Father, I thank you, it's your good pleasure to give me the kingdom. I thank you through Jesus, you've shown me salvation, you've brought good tidings, Father of great joy. God, I am so not afraid. I am going to live long, bear fruit, leave a legacy. God, I thank you for your preservation and your protection. I make it personal. I take what he promised and convey it back in an intimate communion way where I'm talking to him first person. I don't just quote the word over my life. I don't just walk the bedroom. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm blessed coming in, going out. I'm blessed. Praise God. Thank you. I don't do that. Say, Father, I thank you that I'm blessed. Father, I can't be anything but blessed. What you blessed, how could it possibly be cursed? I am so not afraid of today. I'm so not afraid of what might come upon me because what's come upon me is your love and your power of your Holy Spirit. And I just thank you right now that you're in me and you're with me. I commune. I take the truth of those promises and what they're speaking to me. I exchange them with God in faith. And then grace comes on that faith and makes it your reality. And the eyes of your understanding get illuminated. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. It's an excellent point. No. No, I'm saying back there it was an excellent point what she said. That was, that was an excellent point about just not seeking the promise because that's, that's been a big stumbling block actually. Here's what happens. The church, because of that one thing right there, the church knows so much what the Bible says. We know every promise. When a preacher's preaching, most of the people can finish the scripture before they get through because we know what the Bible says. But we haven't become what it says because we've lacked intimacy and taken it right to God and knowing Him. So now here's the paradox. We know what the Bible says, but subtly in our mind, it's not our reality. 
And we've been in this thing so long, and then your mind starts saying, well, when am I ever going to get it? Well, how come I don't? Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but hey. And then when you read your Bible again, you're just reading it through that lack of experience or through that cycle and through that, instead of just looking up and affirming these things. Affirming you're loved and valuable to God is probably one of the biggest challenges to people because we've been taught opposite. That false humility Tammy brought up last week or early this week is, is, is hindered us. We think to make ourselves low is to raise Him up when He's raised us up out of sin into sonship to sit with Him in heavenly places. So one of your biggest challenges is to see the value of your life to God. Nobody pays a high price for nothing. If you shed the blood of Jesus for you, you must have value to the Father. Now, life might not have revealed that. You might not even totally be able to see that this way. But I'll tell you, the fact that His Son came, you can see you must have value. You must be a pearl of great price. Nobody spends $100,000 on a $20,000 car. And yet the blood of Jesus was expended for you and I. We must have amazing original value with the Father that He wants to redeem and restore. You have to start there and see you're worth every drop of the blood. You are worth, even if you've done nothing right, you're worth the blood. He came while we were yet sinners. So you've got to settle that in your heart and let that be the foundation rooted and grounded in love. When we're just seeking it other ways, it comes, joy comes right away. We hear the word, oh, that's my answer. What a great service, Pastor. Oh, yay. And you run out and you're a flower springing up at the stony ground and there's no depth, no root, it says. No root of unfailing love. And you go out and the heat of the day, the pressures of life come. And what sprung up quick with joy withers with discouragement. Here we go again. And oh, I thought this was my breakthrough. Why? Because there's no root. Rooted in, what's the root? Love. You're loved. And when you know that, you'll face the heat of the day and the persecutions through a whole different eye. It won't just be about here we go again. It'll be here we go again. You get the difference? <laughs> okay, I got to release you for break. And uh, we're going to come back and we're going to go do something. It'll be cool. It'll be fun. Go ahead. Take a little break.